0: And I'd like you to turn in your Bibles this morning to the Gospel of Luke, chapter 11. Gospel of Luke, chapter 11. This will be the second discussion in our series, Cultivating a Habit of Prayer. As okay, so we've started the new year, we've been wanting to do this, place an emphasis on the means of grace that God has given to the church to encourage them to become what God wants us to be. And the two primary means that God has given us, both of these directed, empowered, filled by the Spirit of God, are the means of the Word of God, taken in on a regular basis, and the means of prayer that we participate in with God on a regular basis. So, Luke chapter 11 brings us to our second discussion about prayer as a means of God's sustaining grace. Verse 1 of Luke 11, it says, One day, Jesus was praying in a certain place. And this, as you go through the Gospel of Luke, I think you'll find on nine occasions, Jesus in prayer. Okay, it doesn't mean he only prayed nine times, but it is to say this. It is regularly acknowledged as you work your way through the Gospels that Jesus was, in fact, a man who prayed. When he finished, one of his disciples said to him, Lord, teach us to pray just as John taught his disciples. And so, apparently, John had shared with his disciples, his followers, how to pray, how to seek the presence of God. And the followers of Jesus are now saying to Jesus, Jesus, teach us to pray. So they they would observe him going off, spending time in solitude with the Father. And when he would come back, they came to him in this occasion saying, Lord, teach us to pray. Teach us to lay hold of God. Teach us to lay hold of our Father in heaven. He said to them, when you pray, Say, Father, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Give us this day our daily bread. Forgive us our sins, as we forgive everyone who sins against us. And lead us not into temptation. Now what you're going to notice as I'm reading that is that that sounds like an abridged version of what you have memorized as the Lord's Prayer, right? And the reason for that is in Matthew you have an extended version of the Lord's Prayer. In Luke you have somewhat more of an abridged version. I think here's what's important. Okay, the Lord's Prayer was given as a model for prayer, a pattern that we could follow. And so as we look at it, I don't think that God is overly concerned that we follow this order in prayer. But what He has done is given us priorities, things that should be part of our prayer life. Okay, so when Matthew records it, when Luke records it, Luke gives more of an abridged or smaller condensed version of it. Matthew gives a more extended version of it. Both of them lean in the same direction of giving us ideas and thoughts about what should be present in our prayer life. Okay, what are the characteristics of effective prayer? So this morning I want us to look first of all at this pattern of prayer and then we'll move on to the kind of prayer that God answers and then the motive behind praying Christian living. Okay, so first let's look at this, this pattern for prayer. I think it's obvious by the fact that the disciples asked this question, it's obvious that they felt in some way ignorant about the prayer life of Jesus. They felt that they needed instruction in order to cultivate an effective prayer life. And I think in them asking this question, we learn something very simple. And it's something like this, okay? We can learn to pray. We can grow in our experience of prayer with God. And so the disciples come, and what they sense apparently is some sort of a lack in their relationship in praying to God. Now my guess is, they were praying men at some level. Okay? They had a practice of prayer, but they felt that their practice of prayer in some way felt short. So they came to Jesus and said, Lord, teach us to pray. And here's the way I envision it. I envision it something like this. Okay, the disciples have a practice of prayer, and we all know that it is easier to give guidance to something that is moving than it is to give guidance to something that is static, okay? So when you, uh, as a parent, were teaching your child to ride a bike, you would put them on the seat of the bike, and you would start moving the bike, you wouldn't sit there and say, okay, then you turn like this, and you just start to feel the balance sitting static. Why? Because nothing happens. Okay, so what, what do you do? You get them on the bike, and you start them moving, and as you start them moving, they begin to feel what it's like to ride a bike. Okay, so their, their practice of riding the bike, as you teach them, it grows and they eventually become proficient in that experience. Okay, I think the same thing is true in prayer. We can, may come to God this morning. We may say, as I look at verse 1, okay, I may want to say to God this morning, Lord, teach me to pray. I need help in that area of my Christian experience. I want to become more faithful. I want to become more informed as I come into your presence and seek your help. And so this text, I think, is calling us to, as Christians, have a practice of prayer, but it also calls us to realize that we can grow in our understanding of our prayer experience with God. And so this morning, my desire is, again, not to seek to bring conviction about prayerlessness. Okay, if you are prayerless, you probably don't need someone to increase your conviction about that. Okay? but well, what do I need? I need an understanding of the importance of prayer, of its place in my life as a Christian. And I need to do what? Start practicing on a more regular basis a life of prayer. And as I begin to ride the bike of prayer, what happens? It's easier for God to guide me by His Word and by the Spirit in my experience of prayer life before Him. Okay? So I want to encourage you to cultivate a prayer life. To do that, And to help his disciples, Jesus gave a pattern or model of prayer. Now, what I want to say is this. I don't believe that the pattern is rigid. Okay? I believe that it is a flexible model. So that the recording of it is different in Matthew than it is in Luke. Why? Because the disciples didn't understand this to be a prayer that we were only to pray from memory exactly. It was to be a, as Matthew 6 says, pray like this. Okay, say something along these lines. Say something like this. So it's not meant to be rigid, it's not formal, but it is highly relational. Okay, and from the start, you find that this pattern for prayer that Jesus is giving is fundamentally about our personal relationship with Him and how that works out. Now, when I say that, I'm not saying that praying the Lord's Prayer from memory is wrong. Okay, it's good to memorize this prayer and to pray this prayer and to say this prayer before God. But let this prayer be a starting point. Let it be the hand is still on the seat of the bike and moving you along to the letting go and beginning to go into a deeper relationship with God in prayer. So let's take this model of prayer. And I want to break it into four statements. And John Stock kind of suggests these ideas for the Lord's Prayer. The Lord's Prayer involves a look up, a look ahead, a look within... And a look around. Okay, so I want to just, I want to look at this prayer from four different perspectives. Okay, and let's just work our way through what it says. When you pray, Jesus said, say, our Father. And I'm going to add in the parts that you have memorized. Okay, so that we can kind of maintain some sense of continuity. Because otherwise you're going to be frustrated. You're going to be thinking that next word that's in Matthew. So as I quote it, I'm going to say it that way. Our Father in heaven. This is what? This is in prayer, the look up. Okay, it's the vertical focus that motivates and assures us in our prayer life. Okay, our Father in heaven. To say that God is our Father in heaven is to say that He is the one who is the creator of all things that we see. Okay, He created us, He created the world in which we live, which is an indication of His sovereignty, His authority, and His power over all things. So when we pray, Jesus says, pray to our Father in heaven. Why does He say this? I think the fundamental reason is this. To remind us of who we pray to. The power of God. I was mindful this past week of a text in Numbers chapter eleven. It's a story after Israel has come out of the world, out of Egypt by the power of God. They've come into the wilderness. They're begging Moses for meat, right? And Moses goes to God and he says, God, what am I going to do with these people? I'm frustrated with them. They're starting to aggravate me. And I'm getting he he was getting nervous so he comes to God and he lays this problem, this situation on the table. God's response to Moses is fascinating. God says to Moses, is my arm too short that it cannot save? Now, Some translations take that text and translate it this way. They say, is the Lord's power limited? Okay, it Moses, has it been the case in your experience that when I have wanted to help you and assist you, that you have found me unable to do that? Now, what is God doing? God's asking Moses to look back in his experience with God, see the faithfulness of God, the power of God in delivering Israel out of the hands of Egypt. And in light of that, he's saying, Moses, have you known my arm to be short? Have you known me to be unable to save? So in this in this. Look up. What's happening? God is attracting our attention to His infinite power and capacities. So that when we pray, we don't pray weak and anemic prayers. We pray large prayers. Expecting God to work in amazing and strong ways. In this look up, He moves on to say something like this. Father in heaven, hallowed be Your name. God, make Your name great through my life. Make your name known through our prayers, through the things that we ask of you, so that as you respond, people see you as Abraham saw you in the Old Testament. Remember from our study in Genesis? Abraham saw God as God Almighty. He saw God as his provider. He saw God as the God who sees. Okay, so what is, Hallowed be your name. God, make your name known through my life. All right, that's a prayer that God wants to honor and bless. A prayer that asks for God's name to be exalted. And then he says, say, your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. This is a fascinating statement. Father, thy kingdom come. Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. What is that a prayer of? As we look up and see who God is? I think it's something like this. I think it is a response of total surrender to the power and presence of God in our lives. That as we would first look up to Him in prayer, what we would find is an acknowledgement, a reassurance of His fundamental power, of His incredible attributes, Lord Almighty, the God who sees, God our provider, we would see Him in those ways. Okay, and that will orient our hearts so that when we begin to pray, okay, this look up has changed us. Okay, and that's why God says to Moses, Moses, you're coming, you're expressing doubt and fear. Is my arm short? Is... My arm too weak to save you. Have you ever known me to be that way? The answer has to be, as you read through the rest of Numbers 11. The answer is that God indeed brought quail from the ocean, fed the people of Israel, and Moses stood there absolutely astonished. Why? Because what did he say? He said to God in Numbers 11, verse 21, he said, There are 600,000 men, not counting women and children, on foot. And you say, I will give them meat to eat for a whole month. Would they have enough food if flocks and herds were slaughtered for them? Would they have enough if all the fish of the sea were caught for them? What is Moses saying? Moses saying, God, you're asking me to feed them meat. I don't see how it's going to happen. God says, Moses, you ask and watch what happens. Okay, and this miraculous provision piles up around the camp. And what is Moses? He is astonished again at what? The fact that God's arm is not too short. So as we come to the Lord's Prayer, the first thing in the model is this. First, take a look up at the God whom you serve and ask that His kingdom, His purposes would come in your life. Psalm 103 encourages us in this way. It says, praise the Lord, O my soul. So in prayer, what do we do? We, We say, God, I thank you that you are great. I acknowledge your attributes, your capacities. All my inmost being... Praise His holy name. Praise the Lord, O my soul. Do not forget His benefits. And I think this is where Moses is. He's facing a circumstance that is causing him to forget the previous acts of God. And what does the psalmist say? He says, O my soul, don't forget all of His benefits. He forgives your sin. He heals your diseases. He redeems your life from the pit. And He crowns you with love and compassion. And He satisfies your desires with good things so that your youth is renewed like the eagles. Isn't that a beautiful thought? You see, the psalmist is saying, when I come to God in prayer, I spend some time, I look up, and I find strength renewed. And when I find strength renewed, and hope encouraged, and the power of God clearly seen, then I say, okay God, do your will on earth. Do your will through my life. I surrender to your awesome power and authority, and I love you as my Father who is in heaven. Would you pray like that? And then verse 3. He says, give us each day our daily bread. Most of you know the translation for this could simply be, God, give us bread for the day. Which is a reflection back to what? It's a reflection back to the Old Testament in the book of Exodus when God provided manna for the people of Israel on a daily basis. Bread for the day. Okay? And so what is this? I believe this is a look ahead. It looks into tomorrow. What are we supposed to do with tomorrow? You know what Jesus said? He said, tomorrow has enough trouble for itself. So what do you do with tomorrow? As you look ahead. You know what? In prayer, you give it over to God. In prayer, you say, God, I'm going to need you to meet my needs tomorrow. I'm going to need your help to face this circumstance tomorrow. I'm going to need you to help me face things that are unexpected in my life tomorrow. So it's it's the look ahead that says, God, meet my needs on a daily basis. And so... The second thing that he says in this look-ahead is, and lead us, or I'm sorry, he says, forgive us our sins as we forgive everyone who sins against us and lead us not into temptation. So I find in this look-ahead, two prayers. Prayer for God's provision and underneath, prayer for God's protection. Lead us not into temptation. Okay, so what is the psalmist saying? psalmist is saying, God, I need your provision for tomorrow and I need your protection for tomorrow. This sounds a lot like, I believe, what Paul says in Philippians 4, 6. He says, don't be anxious about tomorrow, about your life, but in everything, by prayer, with thanksgiving, let your request be made known to God and then the... Peace of God, which passes all understanding, will keep your heart, guard your heart and mind in Christ Jesus. Now here's what jumps out to me about this text. As we look forward to tomorrow, what does Jesus say? Or what does Paul say? What does Jesus say? In everything, by prayer and supplication, let your request be made known to God. Let God know that you need His help. Let God know that you need His assistance. Just, just as you look down the road, don't panic about things. Okay, which is what we tend to do. We tend to get concerned about future inevitabilities. We know that one day sickness is coming into our life. Pain is coming into our life. Struggles do come into our life. And what do we do as we look down the road? Jesus is saying, trust me with tomorrow. Ask me to provide for your daily bread. Ask me to protect you from the inevitable temptations that come in a fallen world. Pray because I believe, as Jesus said, each day has enough trouble of its own. Okay, so what do I need? I need to ask God, God, meet my needs today. And I need to trust you with the circumstances that I will face tomorrow. So that is, if you will, the look ahead down the road. As we see anticipated needs, anticipated fears, anticipated hopes, opportunities, duties, problems. Okay, all those kinds of things come into our life as Christians. And Jesus is saying, ask God to give you his provision. Ask God to give you his protection. At the beginning of verse 4, Jesus gives this very simple directive. He says, forgive us our sins. For we also forgive everyone who sins against us. Okay, what is this? Okay, so I've got the look up. I have to look out at the needs of daily life. And now where's the look go? The look goes in. Okay, in prayer, what are we to do? We're to examine our hearts before God. Okay, and if we find and when we find shortcomings, failures, sins in our lives, what do we do with that? Do we turn and walk away from God saying, God, I'm a failure, I've sinned again? No, you know what we do? We go to God and we say, God, look, here are areas that I've identified where I've fallen short of your will and purpose. Here are sins in my life. What does God want you to do? You know, Jesus says, Jesus says this. He says, ask God, forgive us our sins. And as we sung so beautifully this morning, when we do, what happens? The blood of Jesus Christ, His Son, covers over our sins and cleanses us from all unrighteousness and suits us to ask God for His help. So when you pray, take a look within. Allow the Word of God that is to be coupled with your prayer life. Allow that Word of God to ruthlessly examine your heart. Let it expose Let it show you the issues that are there so that God then can listen to you as you respond to Him and say, God, as I read this text, I understand that this sin is present in my life. I need your forgiveness so that I don't lose fellowship with God. David's warning kind of hangs over this text, doesn't it? If I regard iniquity in my heart, David said, the Lord won't hear me, so what do I do? Okay, I go to him with this prayer, saying, Father, forgive me. And if we confess our sin in that kind of a way with a humble heart, the promise of God, is that He will indeed forgive us and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Psalm 51 may help us in this prayer. Here's the way the psalmist said it after he had sinned with Bathsheba, David. He said, God, have mercy on me. Have mercy on me. You know what mercy is? Mercy is withholding what is deserved. So David humbles himself in the presence of God. And here's what he simply says. He says, God, have mercy upon me. God... In your grace, don't give me what I deserve. It's powerful, isn't it? Don't give me what I deserve. And then here's what he says. And and so you might go to God. You might look in your life today and say, you know what, I know there's an area of sin in my life that I need to confess and take to God. Go to God and say, God, have mercy upon me. And then he says, according to your unfailing love, according to your great compassion, blot out my transgressions. Okay, wipe out my sin. But well, see, that's the prayer of a bold child to their heavenly Father, isn't it? It's the ability to acknowledge that, yes, I have fallen short, but your mercy is great, and according to your loving faithfulness to me, blot out my sin. That's what the psalmist says. He says, wash me from all my iniquity, cleanse me from all my sin. I know my transgression, my sin is before me. Do you see this, folks? Where is the psalmist doing this? He's doing this in the presence of God. God. Why? Because he's counting on God's faithfulness, on God's promise to fulfill, that if we pray, Father, forgive me, that he will do that. I think this is so beautiful and so powerful. The inward look that is present here will humble us and draw our gaze upward to the cross, to the grace of God, to the blood of Christ that cleanses us from all of our sin. So that as we pray, we look up and we remember who God is, our Father in heaven. We look around and we see that life is full of needs that can sometimes cause us to fear and be anxious. You know what Jesus says? He says, ask God to meet your needs today and give tomorrow to Him. And He says, if if in the process of praying, you identify sin in your heart, you find shortcomings and weaknesses, and I think it's really not an if, it's a when. Take it to Him. Ask Him to forgive you. And what's He going to do? His promise is He'll forgive you. And then the last look that I think is recommended here is the look around. Because our prayer life isn't simply to be about our own needs. Okay, it's not to be about our own needs. It's also to be about intercession. That is, taking prayer requests for the benefit of others to the Father's throne. In Luke 22, I believe that Jesus demonstrates this kind of prayer that looks around at the needs of others. You remember when He was in the Garden of Gethsemane with Peter? Peter was struggling under great pressure, under attack of the evil one. And what does Jesus say to Peter? Jesus says to Peter, I have prayed for you. Right? What is Jesus doing? He's ministering intercession for his disciples. John chapter 17, what do you find? You find Jesus the Savior interceding for other believers. In Romans chapter 1, here's what Paul says, in terms of this idea of intercessory prayer. He says, I thank God through Jesus Christ for all of you, Because your faith is being reported all over the world. God whom I serve with my whole heart in preaching the gospel of His Son is my witness. Now listen to this. He is my witness how I constantly remember you in my prayers at all times. And I pray that now at last by God's will they may be be open for me to come to you. Okay, what can Paul say? Here's what Paul can say. For the church in Rome... And then for the church in Colossae, he can say, I have not stopped praying for you. And we pray, he says, that you might live a life that is worthy of the gospel of Christ. So in our prayer, what are we doing? Uh, First, we're looking up. Okay? We're looking up to see the power and glory of God that is revealed. Secondly, we look ahead in our lives. We look within to see if there's any sin that needs to be confessed. And then we look around us to say, okay... What are the needs that surround my life that I can be lifting up to God? And what is Paul saying? Paul's saying, I do this on a regular basis. Okay, so the first thing that Jesus gives is this pattern for prayer. Second thing is found in verse 5. Then he said to them. So he gives the pattern for prayer. And then he answers the question, what kind of prayer does God answer? Okay, what kind of Prayer moves the hand and heart of God. What lays hold of his throne and gets results. He said to them, suppose one of you has a friend. He goes in to him at midnight and says, friend, lend me three loaves of bread. Because a friend of mine on a journey has come to me and I have nothing to set before him. Now, in our culture, what would we say? We'd say to the friend that has come with the need, hey, you can just go right down the road. There's a McDonald's that's open 24 hours a day. Okay? And you can get your need met. In the ancient world, that wasn't the luxury. There were no 24-hour minute marts that you could go to and get what you needed at any time. So this situation in an Asian culture, in a Near Eastern culture, would become, quite frankly, a very embarrassing situation. Okay, so what happens? This guy has a friend visit him, He doesn't have food to feed him, so he runs down the street to a neighbor, presumably with whom he has a relationship, and he keeps pounding on the door, knocking on the door, come help me, come help me. right? Why? Because he's embarrassed. And the assumption also is that if he takes the bread that he has in his house and the bread that his neighbor has, combines them together, what might happen? He may be able to meet the needs of this guest and avoid an embarrassing situation. So he's driven by a difficult situation. That's what the story is about. Verse 7. The one is, who is inside says, don't bother me. The door's already locked. The children are in bed. I can't get up and give you anything. And then verse 8, the story takes an interesting twist. So what you find is this man resists, but it becomes apparent that the friend is what? He keeps knocking. He's not taking no for an answer. Okay, so he persists. And, and the idea in the text is that he actually becomes annoying and may actually cross the line into being perceived as rude. Okay? He just, like a little kid in the car saying, can I have this? Can I have this? Can I have this? Okay? I was recently in a situation where that happened in my car. A little girl in the car, and she was saying to her mom, uh, I want to go to Burger King. I want to go to Burger King. And she just kept going, 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 going. Okay? What was she expressing? She was expressing a strong desire, <clears throat> crossing the line, okay? Probably, probably not being appropriate towards her mom as her mom was feeling at that moment. Okay? But what did the child want? The child was hungry and wanted food. So what did she do? She just kept knocking and asking at the door, saying, Mommy, I want to go to Burger King. Okay? And that's the idea here. This guy, he's not leaving until this man gets out of bed, overcomes his selfishness, and meets his need. So that he can avoid embarrassment in his circle of life. So he's, he's expecting that this man that he's knocking on the door has something that will help him to meet the need of someone else. And so he acts out of that situation, that circumstance where embarrassment could be present and he wants to help the need. Verse 8 he says, I tell you, though he will not get up and give him bread because he is his friend, meaning the relationship at an earthly level was not enough to motivate him. What motivates him? He says, yet because of this man's boldness, he will get up and give him everything he needs so that it will go away and give him peace. Okay, so the reason this man finally gets out of bed gets a couple loaves of bread, and gives it to this guy. It's not because he's his friend. Okay, the fundamental reason for why he gets out of bed is because the guy was flat out annoying him with persistence. Okay, just like children do to parents. They just flat out, they ask you so many times that you finally cave in. Because you love your child? No, because they're annoying the daylights out of you. You want them finally to be quiet, and so what do you do? Just okay, okay, out of frustration, Got my arm so far to my, so my back. I have to do this because you're driving me crazy. That's the picture. Well, that's the story that Jesus uses. And I think it's fascinating. What kind of prayer does God answer? That kind of prayer. That kind of prayer that says, God, if you don't come and help, I can't do this. If you don't come and provide strength, food, financial, work, whatever it is, help in my marriage, I can't do it. So folks, I think the question we have to wrestle with, we look at the pattern, okay, and we realize, that, you know what, God's desire is to meet our needs, and Jesus teaches us how to approach God in heaven, looking up, looking around, looking in, okay, looking forward in our lives. He, he wants us to come to Him in all of those different circumstances, but He wants us to come out of a sense of need that, God, I, I want to honor you by saying, I trust you to meet my needs, He is our provider. He reveals himself in that way in the Old Testament. So he loves when we come and pray like this man. Why does Jesus give this story? Because he wants his disciples to learn to pray like this. That they would not give up, that they wouldn't faint in their praying. But they would persist as a person who has a desperate need. Like a little child who is hungry, who keeps saying, Mommy, feed me, Mommy, feed me, Mommy, feed me. God is honored by such dependence. So the kind of prayer that He answers is persistent, bold, and in the context I could say almost so persistent that it's rude. You may ask for it so much that you finally think, I, maybe I'm wearing God out. I don't want to be a bother. But that's the picture. God loves when we come to Him in that kind of Desperation. Verse 9, Jesus says, so I say, in light of this story of persistent, almost rude request, so I say, ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and the door will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives. And he who seeks finds. And to him who knocks, the door will be opened. What is the motive of prayer? So we see the pattern, we see the kind of prayer that God answers in terms of attitude and pursuit, but then we find the motive for prayer here. Why pray? Okay, and I say this to you this morning to say, hopefully we will shake off the deadness of our prayer life and begin to go hard after God as people that are desperate for His blessings and benefits and power and forgiveness in our lives. Okay, now listen to what what verse 11 says. Which of you fathers, if your son asks for a fish, will give him a snake instead? Or if he asks for an egg, will give him a scorpion? And Jesus then says, if you then, though you in comparison to God are evil, meaning ill-motivated, know how to give good gifts to your children... How much more will your Father in Heaven give the Holy Spirit to those who ask Him? Okay, now I want you to see there's a tie-in here that goes back to verse 2. Okay, and it's the word that shows us what the the parentheses around the account are here. Okay, in verse 2, Jesus says, When you pray, say, Our Father who art in Heaven. When I come to verse 13, what do I find? If you then are evil and know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your... Father in heaven, give gifts, give gifts to you. Okay, so the word Father comes up in verse 2, comes up in verse 11. It lets me, lets me know that relationship is the theme of this teaching on prayer. Okay, our relationship with God is what fundamentally and primarily should motivate us to pray. So the first motive for prayer is, God is our Father. And prayer, in this sense, is deeply relational. Okay, it is expected that when a child has a genuine, real need, they cry out to their father, what's father going to do? Because of his parental responsibility and love and affection, he's going to respond and meet that need. And so when we come to God, we need to come, first of all, because he is our father. In a sense that is very relational, the emphasis on sonship. I think of what James says in James 4.4, 4, he says, You draw near to God, and God's going to draw near to you. That's what Jesus is saying in this text, isn't He? Come, knock at the door of heaven. Fall at the throne of heaven. And ask God to work in your life. Ask God to do the impossible in your life. Because He is His Father. He will come near. And He saved you for this relationship. Another thought that emerges is God is in, God in heaven is for you. Okay, now, in this story, the man who's being bothered by the person in need, he finally responds because he's, he just, he's tired. He's worn out. Okay, Jesus says then, how much more will your Father in heaven, how much quicker, how much more lovingly will he respond to you as you come to him in prayer? So folks, I think what God is saying is don't be shy. Don't be reluctant in your prayer. Come to him boldly, persistently, almost on the edge of being rude. I think that's the indication here out of desperation, out of a sense of God, I need your help. And His promise is that He will answer you. I think it's why Jesus, in Matthew chapter 6, prior to His teaching on the Lord's Prayer, when we come to pray, He says two things that He doesn't want us to do. Number one, He says, when you come, don't put on a show to win God's favor. Okay? It, because the idea would be that if, if, I, if I put on the long-flowing robe and I pray in a public place where everyone sees that I'm praying, the idea is that I'm, I'm, I'm getting God to respond to my prayer because of the show that I'm putting on. The next verse, he says, and, and when you pray, don't be like the heathens who babble the same thing over and over and over and over and over and over again. Okay, now what is he saying? Pagans think that the more they pray, the more God will be inclined to respond to and meet their needs. That That by offering up enough prayers, you finally overcome God's reluctance and God finally says, okay, I'll give it to you. And it's kind of a bit of a game. You know what Jesus is saying? He's saying, God is your Father. He's not like the man in the house who's put himself to bed, who is is now bothered. Now, folks, here's the truth. Okay, every time you approach God as your Father with a serious, genuine need, you know what his response is? His response will always be to, in some way, respond to that need. Okay, he, he's not, I, mean, I remember when I was a teenager, there were things that I might want from my dad and I'd, I'd be kind of measuring his mood to determine whether that was a good time to ask him. Okay, I don't know if any of you remember doing that with your parents. Okay, is this a good time? I know, what I, is this a good time to ask? Can okay, you kind of measure the circumstances? Folks, here's an awesome thing. God is not fickle in that way. He's not subject to ups and downs emotionally. He is the same yesterday, today, and forever. So that when you come to pray to him, you don't have to worry, well, he, he might be you know off sleeping or he might be eating dinner. Or he, might, no. he doesn't have any of those needs. He, he, he's never come up short in relationship to power. He's never run short on finances. He's never run short on resources. So what do we do? We come to him boldly. We come like a little child who doesn't think those things through and just keeps hammering the door saying, help me, help me. Okay, but what I, what I want you to know is this, that as you pray, you pray out of a relationship to a Father in Heaven who is for you, and He is a God who invites us to pray. So I think the thrust of verse 9 and 10 is this, So I say to you, ask, Jesus says. So I say to you, seek. So I say to you, knock. Okay, what, what's the indication? The indication that God invites us. Come into my presence. Bring your needs. Bring your requests. Offer them up to me. I am mighty to save. I desire to work in response to the cry of your heart. The amazing truth is something like this. In prayer, our human weakness encounters the divine omnipotent power of God. And folks, only when you and I see how weak we are will we begin to pray. When we understand our weakness, our ineffectiveness apart from the power of God, it's them that we will pray and say, God, guide me, lead me. We'll ask, we'll seek, we'll knock on a regular basis. Seeking the help of a God who invites us to pray. Seeking the help of a God who is for us. Seeking the help of God who is committed to being our Father. And so we pray out of this relationship. This is a text that contains clear promises about prayer. God answers bold prayers. So pray boldly, not weak prayers that get weak results. Pray big prayers that get big results. Another truth, I think, is that many of God's purposes will only be done in answer to prayer. And isn't this exactly what Jesus says in the garden? He says, Father, glorify your name. Okay, a big prayer asking God to work in amazing ways. God's purposes will often only be done in answer to our prayers. God's power and love and capacities are unlimited. And so Jeremiah 33 and verse 3, what does he say to us? He says, call to me and I will answer you and show you great and mighty things that you could not understand. Because what does he say? He's saying, when you come, call to me and ask for big things from God. And expect Him to move in glorious and powerful ways. Can I ask you this this morning? What concern? What circumstance? What fear? What sin? What struggle? What work? What financial need? What marital struggle? Teenager? What relational struggle? What peer pressure are you facing this morning that you need to take to your Father who is in heaven? What is it? And when you identify what it is, rush into His presence. And lay those needs in His very capable hands. Go ahead, ask, seek, knock, persist with God. Cultivate a practice of prayer. And I think that's what Jesus ultimately is saying to His disciples. They come, Lord, teach us to pray. Jesus says when you pray, pray like this. Cultivate a practice of prayer. And the more you pray, the more efficiency and effectiveness you will find in that experience. And I love what it says at the end of this text. Jesus says, if, he, says he says, won't your Father much more graciously meet your needs by giving the Holy Spirit to those who ask Him? Won't He much more give the Holy Spirit to those who ask Him? And I think the indication is something like this. The Holy Spirit is the source of new birth. So when we pray, our first prayer that says, God, be merciful to me, a sinner, the Spirit of God comes in and is the source of new life. As we move on in our Christian experience, the Holy Spirit is the source of powerful and effective Christian living. So uh, the the book of Acts chapter 1 and verse 8, It says, but you will receive power when the Holy Ghost comes upon you and you will become my witnesses. You go into all the world, you'll make differences. So the Spirit of God comes in this text in response to what kind of prayer? A persistent, desperate, needy spirit that cries out to God. God says, I'll meet your needs. And along with that, I will give the Spirit to you. And when He comes, what does He do? He gives new life and He gives power to effectively live a life that will ultimately bring glory to Him. Practice praying, and God will respond. Andrew Murray said this. He said, reading a book about prayer, listening to lectures and talking about prayer is very good, but it will not teach you to pray. You get nothing without practice. Okay, you get nothing without practice. Now here's what I think we need to encourage ourselves to do. Cultivate a habit and practice of prayer. Okay, just go to God on a regular basis. Carve out time. Get an appointment with God when you're going to go and meet with Him. And ask Him very specifically to meet your needs. Glorify Him by this look up to Him. Look around. Look in. Look ahead. And as you do that, you're going to say, God, I need your help to effectively live this life. And what does He say He'll do? As you ask for all of those needs, He will also pour the work of the Spirit into your life and make you an effective Christian for His glory. Folks, this is what God wants to do. Okay? The question I would ask you this morning is this. Will you practice praying? Because if you would get the bike of prayer moving in your life, you will find that it is much easier to guide the bike when you are praying and seeking to grow than when you were sitting statically, listening and thinking about the possibility of praying. Okay? I would illustrate it in this way. Okay? If, if I wanted to be, and, and I don't have any illusions of this, Okay, if I wanted to become a good piano player, okay, I don't, because I know I don't have the skills and assets that are required. Okay? So I don't. But if I did, okay, And I said, well, the way that I'm going to become a good piano player is by watching someone like Lucas or Jillian play piano. Okay, and I'm going to become a good piano player by watching them play piano. Would I, by watching them, become a good piano player? Okay? Okay? Would I by simply listening to sermons about prayer or reading books about prayer but not practicing prayer become more effective and strong in my prayer life? I think the answer is obvious. I would know a little bit more about it, but it wouldn't make me a better prayer. Just like watching people on video or personally playing piano isn't going to make me a better piano player. Not until I would start to apply my hands and my abilities to that effort would I begin to experience some form of progress. So my challenge to you this morning is this. Practice praying. And I don't mean practice as in, like, try once in a while. I mean, get into a habit of prayer. And as you do, you will begin to see God work. This text contains a promise. Ask, seek, knock, and you will find. That's the heart of God towards His children this morning. Father, as we conclude our discussions On these basic disciplines of the Christian life.